This is Amateur Logic, episode 97 for November 15th, 2016. This episode of Amateur Logic was brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com, and by ICOM. The holidays are just around the corner, and ICOM has an array of radios to fill your stockings and place under the tree. Amateur Logic, episode 97. I'm George. I'm Tommy. I'm Peter. And I'm Emil. And we've got a variety show for you tonight. It's going to be uh, a mixed bag of content. Yeah, everything but the kitchen sink and, yep. and maybe some of that. Maybe some of that. Thanksgiving is coming up soon. Speaking of kitchen sinks. Yeah, you'd almost think this was rehearsed, but it's almost. not. Almost. Yeah. It's sort of deja vu-ish. Yep. And then <laughs> the Christmas episode will be the next one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we don't know what, that. Yeah, don't know what we're going to do then yet. Yeah. So, uh, are we going to hear Tommy sing today? You you've never heard me sing before. Uh, no, not that not that I can recall. Yeah, you I don't heard, want to uh, rock and Ray sing. <laughs> you don't. Want, yeah. yeah, rock you and know, Ray. That just didn't sound like Ray to me. Okay. Well, oh well. <laughs> yeah, well, it's variety. Anything. <laughs> yeah. What's that shirt you got on there, Tommy? Yeah, this is my Alabama shirt. I went to the football game today. So I went over there and kind of basically had to race back. We got stuck in traffic, so I got back home, put the family out, threw my camera and stuff in the car, in the truck, and basically just left and came straight here. Yeah, yeah, you did. Um, I've got on a red shirt tonight, too, but it's not the Alabama. No. Yours is is pretty stylish, too, though. Yeah, this is the uh, unofficial version Mm -hmm. that was never released. Yeah. I've got a a, uh, one that was never released, either. Matter of fact, I need to try to find the artwork and put it out on the spreadshirt. It looks like that shirt. Go Go ahead, Peter. Yeah, keeping with the Alabama theme, here's my Huntsville, Alabama top, which... uh, uh, you'll hear a commentary on a little bit later. Oh, yeah, Space and Rocket Center. Cool. Nice. That's mm-hmm. a neat place. It's from the Space Museum. Yeah. And email, your your shirt is blue tonight. It's <laughs> everybody's shirt. It's blue, and it's uh, cheap old man compliant. None of that fancy logo stuff anywhere. It's just blue. <laughs> just basic and does the job. <laughs> That's right. It works in any environment, too. Yes. <laughs> And it makes a, group, a great dessert topping. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, me neither. Well, um, you you remember our friend Dave, N9NTV? Oh, yeah. Who, uh, when we were doing the, the Nets uh, once a month for Amateur Logic, which, which we've discontinued for now. Maybe one day we'll begin them again. Yeah. But uh, over on the Do Drop In conference server, you know, Dave just moved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well... He sent me a photo here. You know his 
I know he hated to give up his shack, you know, the one he had before was so uh, well laid out and stylish, but he's working on a new one here. He sent us a photo of it. Oh, cool. Oh, wow, he's got a lot of stuff in there. He's got almost as much stuff in there as as we got in here. I love the beer cans. Yep. (laughs) Fuel. Fuel? Yeah. (laughs) And wire, you know. And he's got some good programming on up there. Well, he does, you know. Dave, congratulations on the new shack there. Glad to see that you're getting settled in in the new QTH. Yeah, I know he uh, he had to pretty much dismount all of his stuff and didn't have any way to get on the air for a long time. Yeah. So I know he's glad to get that stuff going. Yeah, so that's good. Well, yeah, Tommy, I haven't talked to him in a long time either. I kind of miss talking to him. You've got an email over there, don't you? An email? An yeah. email or an email? No, an E-M-A-I-L. Okay, yeah. I have an email. Okay. And if I can see it no. without my glasses, I'll be oh. glad to read it. How about that? Okay. Okay, it says, uh, I'm interested in buying an ICOM ID51A radio to start utilizing the D-Star system. Which other items do I need to buy to use it for my laptop? Any guidance is truly appreciated. And this is from uh, KG4UHV Trevino. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, anyway, KG4UHV. So anyway, to you're going to enjoy the radio. You can't go wrong with that one. I think yeah, pretty much yeah, everybody's okay. got one loves it. Um, and to use it from your laptop, I'm assuming you, you want to make a hotspot. Um, so you can use... Uh, a DVAP or a, a DV Mega can be ran mm-hmm. through the serial port. Uh, I kind of like the DV Megas myself, and you can actually get hook it up to a Raspberry Pi and have it stand alone, and not even have to worry about using the laptop with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, do, do the Northwest Digital Radio folks have a? Uh, they've a, got. Uh, I don't think they've got a. There's not anything that I know of, but yeah. there's a DV4 Mini out that's very popular right now. It's actually pretty cost effective too. And you can plug it up to the USB port on your so laptop. So there's a number as well. of options there. Oh yeah, yeah. This uh, and and more coming on every day. Yeah. Kind of stumbled across some kind of neat stuff sitting around at the hotel, playing mm-hmm. around with my my tablet. Yeah. So let's let's take a look at that. Okay. In all my hotel stays at work, I'm usually trying to find some kind of ham radio activity to kind of pass the time and and you know alleviate the, the pain from being away from my gear here. Uh, I always take the D-Star stuff like you've seen in the past, but I'm usually looking for something new, too. I had my little Android tablet here and got to looking around, and I ran across this program in the Google Play Store called GLSDR. I thought I'd show it to you today. It's pretty neat. It's uh, got a few little rough edges, but overall it's it's a cool little program that allows you to connect to people's uh, SDRs or radios over the internet and tune around and listen to different things uh, on HF and different bands, so different bands, different modes. So anyway, it's pretty cool stuff. It's free. Uh, doesn't see any ads popping up in there all the time, and uh, it's been kind of a pleasure to use. So anyway, let's take a look at it. So I downloaded it again from the Google Play Store, and it's called GLSDR, as I said. It's coming up on the last one that I chose, but uh, I realize this is not the best for screen capture, but allowing you to see where I'm touching on the screen is kind of helpful in this in this application here. So there's some dots in the corner that bring up a menu, and we can click that, pick a server, and it'll show you different servers around the world. 
not a lot of them in here, but there's there's a good screen full of them. Maybe 10 or so, 10 or 12. So right now I'm at, on one that's uh, WA2 tall. I believe it's in Arizona. So I'm going to pick this other one that's in Washington. And you can see the SDR waterfall. You can hear the audio from it. Sure you can. And you can go grab, just like most SDR applications, you can move the line you see where the data is over to the listening point right there and you can hear it. Each one of these servers has different capabilities. To see what different capabilities they have, if you scroll down to the bottom to About, you can bring up a, an About screen and it's got a couple of links. So here's a cl click for a link of servers or a map where the servers are. So I'm just going to click the link. I kind of like that. Got a column here with the IP addresses in it. The call sign, where they are. There's some Germany. Um, some of these I uh, can't pronounce. So anyway, uh, you'll have to look them up. But uh, there's one in uh, Walla Walla, Washington. Here's one in Italy. Here's one in Phoenix, Arizona. But anyway, so you can get an idea of where they are. They also have the bands that they support. So the Phoenix one is 160 through 10 meters. Uh, Washington one is 20 through 10. Um, shows what kind of hardware it's running on. And the types of antennas. There's a butternut and various and assorted things. A window. So anyway, that's, uh, that's good to know. So let's jump back over to our app. Let's see where we are. Washington has uh, 20 through 10. So we'll jump back over to our application. Well, it looks like that one went offline. So let's go over here and let's do the Phoenix one. And if I remember right, it was uh, pretty broad coverage. So it was 160 through 10 meters. So let's change bands. Go up here to the menu, click band. And here's all our ones. So it's in the evening. Let's pick, uh, let's just pick 40 meters. Let's see if there's anything on there. Let's see a few spikes. Some data. We're on the uh, 7.599 lower sideband, and that's okay for 7. seven point. Yeah, let's change bands. That's not working out too good. So we're on 7 megahertz. Let's go to... Okay, it took me a few minutes. I had to scan around. I ended up changing back to, I believe that's the Phoenix server, and we're on 7230 lower sideband. I think this is a maritime net.
Maybe. But anyway, let's play around with some of the filtering while we've got somebody on here. Um, we've got DSP. We can change. We can add noise reduction, automatic noise filter, noise blanker, IQ correction, whatever that is, and receive DX block. So some of those I'm not that familiar with. I think we're losing our station. Let's give him a minute to come back. And you can see the waterfall right there. The one thing that's a little bit uh, tweaky is to how to... There's no VFO, so you have to basically use your finger to slide the scale uh, very slowly. Um, again, that's why I've used this camera at, pointed at the screen instead of doing a digital screen capture so you can see that where you have to touch on the screen for this. Now, I hear the other part of party that he's talking to, but it's pretty low down in the dirt right there. Let's see if we can clean him up some. Again, turn it up. 100. Didn't do much for that guy. Well, I still hear him, but he's pretty far down there. Let's see what this one is. There we go. All right, let's see if we can clean it up. No, nothing like that here. I brought back uh, a dozen cohorts, uh, which are big. So you can see it cleared it up some. Anyway, I, I'm not going to go through every single one of these. Uh, there's a lot of functionality in here spectrum average, uh, FPS. I'm not sure exactly what that is. So. But I haven't done anything with it. You got automatic gain control, uh, DSPs. There's multiple receivers on some of these, and you can change it right here. Filtering. Again, we've got modes: lower sideband, upper sideband, uh, DSB, uh, CW, AM, so so forth. So we're on uh, lower sideband at the moment. Yeah, change the band in the server. So anyway, fun thing to play around with. You can put it on your phone and tune around and listen. Um, I'd like to see some more uh, servers get on there. I'm thinking about getting a dongle or something and putting it on myself for this and looking to see how that happens. So maybe we'll do a segment on that in the future if we do it. Anyway, I hope you found it interesting and hope you enjoyed the little program. It's kind of a good thing to kill some time sitting around the hotel or sitting around the house. Or if you don't have HF capabilities, you can at least tune around, bar someone else's receiver. 73, we'll catch you next time. Well, Tommy, looks like you did find something to do around the hotel there. How yeah, it's pretty wise. neat, something to play around with. It's kind of cool, a little piece of software. 
I'm just going to look into seeing how to put your own receiver on. Mm -hmm. uh, may do that sometime later, as I said, but I uh, thought it was kind of cool. Maybe other people like it. I, di I did a thing on web SDR, you know, a couple of years back. Uh, this is just kind of like an extension of that sort of, I guess, but, mm -hmm. but it's pretty fun stuff. Yeah, I noticed someone was asking in the chat room, is there something like this available on iOS? Uh, I didn't. I didn't find anything exactly like that. There, there wasn't an iOS version of it. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of look around and see what else I can come up with on there. But um, anyway, it looks like that one's primarily for Android. Yeah, that would probably go uh, over easier with a mill, I think. Would. Yeah, Tommy. Uh, the, I was actually really impressed with that. I'll certainly have a look at that uh, software a bit later today. But I was really interested to know uh, whether there's an API for it, or for the you know uh, uh, for under the hood, so to speak, so that you could, for example, design your own programs to actually interface with the uh, the web SDR type uh, setup. Uh, I, I didn't see that. There's a bunch of information that's on the um, on the developer site. You can see it if, when you go look it up where you buy it there. Or download mm -hmm. it's free. Uh, there's a developer's website link on there, and look around okay. on there. There's a lot of information on there, but I, I didn't really specifically look for APIs. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. So, Cheapo Man compliant? Absolutely. I don't know exactly which episode it was, George, but you remember I uh, put together one of those uh, SDR uh, mm -hmm. dongle. Mm -hmm. uh, kits and had fun with that for about I think it was under hundred bucks with everything, so you know software and all the device itself. So good yeah. stuff. This is cheaper than that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Free. Yeah. That's the best price. Yeah. But anyway, it's pretty neat stuff to play around with. Yeah, it is, and uh, it, it's it's an SDR, mm -hmm. you know, and you can use that um, to listen to yourself. Yeah. I would assume you're going to be delayed, though, so it might be kind of difficult to talk and uh, listen see. to yourself, you know, with the, yeah. that much of a delay. But kind of, you know, see how you're being received. Yeah, I guess you, you know, could. From a, a certain area. Well, I've got an email here that uh, comes from Monty, KV4KS. I don't know if he's in the chat room tonight or not. I didn't look, but he's. I think he's been in there before. He said, uh, George and Tommy, uh, check this out. Oh, wow. There's a link there you can uh, you awesome. can go. Uh, after getting his license a couple of years ago, John Young, KM4KMU, watched every episode of AmateurLogic.tv to decide what he wanted to do with his license, and this is the result. Wow. Yeah, last night, John gave uh, the Sterling Park Amateur Radio Club a presentation before that, he erected his antenna system on his Jeep before the formal meeting. Uh, you might want to check out his QRZ bio. And I've got a link on there where you can go look at the PDF file. That is uh, quite a feat of engineering right there. He is. Yeah, a, that's, that's impressive. It is. Yep. He is a big uh, VHF, UHF contester. You've been hesitant to put an antenna on your truck, Tommy. He, he shamed me. He did. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hesitant because I don't want it on there. It's just hesitant because I'm I not in the thing to use it. Yeah. No, you were, though, when you were initially hesitant. Oh, when I first got the truck? Well, yeah. Yeah. You mean you had a glass mount antenna, you know? how? I had a 
an antenna? Uh, not really. <laughs> that was a dummy load, man. Uh, it, worked. it worked. It worked. Well, I tell you what, we've got more to go. Uh, first, let's get a message from MFJ, and we'll be right back. When you've got multiple pieces of gear that operate at the same voltage, it often makes more sense to use one large power supply to power them all rather than several smaller ones. How can you connect this gear together safely? MFJ's got more solutions than anyone else. If you prefer binding posts, MFJ's selection has you covered. The MFJ1112 DC power strip gives you a total of 15 amps capacity divided by six pair of heavy-duty five-way binding posts spaced for standard dual banana plugs. It includes six feet of super heavy-duty eight-gauge color-coded cable with ring-tongue terminals. The MFJ1116 steps it up by adding fuse protection, an on-off power switch, and a 0-25 to volt DC meter. The MFJ1117 strip has four pair of extra heavy-duty binding posts and can handle up to 35 amps total. It's suitable for higher current demands of most HF transceivers. The MFJ1118 multiple DC outlet is MFJ's most versatile and highest current deluxe model. It lets you power two HF and or VHF transceivers and six or more accessories from a single 12-volt DC supply. The MFJ1118 has two pair of super heavy-duty 30-amp five-way bonding posts to connect your transceivers. Each pair is fused NRF bypassed. It handles 35 amps total. Six pair of heavy-duty RF bypass five-way binding posts let you power your accessories. They handle 15 amps total, are protected by a master fuse, and have an on-off switch and an on-LED indicator. Built-in 0 to 25 volt DC voltmeter, 6 feet of super heavy-duty 8-gauge color-coded cable with ring-tongue terminals, and the binding posts are spaced for standard banana plugs. No matter what your power distribution needs, MFJ's got a solution for you. For more information, visit MFJEnterprises.com today. Peter, you've got something you wanted to share with us this month. You want to set it up? Oh, my uh, my, uh, my my segment. Well, really, um, the segment's based around uh, two things. The first is that I wanted to show you how you can sort of use a Raspberry Pi in the same way you'd use an Arduino, in the sense that uh, an Arduino boots straight into a program, whereas the Raspberry Pi waits for user input. So we want to make the... Uh, uh, the Raspberry Pi do the same thing. And to illustrate, I need to program, so I thought, well, how about something that uh, would be useful in a zombie apocalypse? Uh, so this will flash out on an LED uh, SOS and hopefully attract uh, other amateurs to come help you. So here we go. Today's project is about getting a Raspberry Pi to behave like an Arduino. Wouldn't it be great if you could make the Raspberry Pi start up a Python or other program immediately after power is applied? Well, you can, and that's the subject of today's segment, how to make a Raspberry Pi behave like an Arduino. First, though, we're going to need a program to run at boot. And what better than a blinky light program? 
it's going to blink Morse code through an LED and send the letters SOS continuously with a short gap at the end of each SOS. Here's the hardware I'm using. It's a Raspberry Pi 2 and I've already installed Raspbian on it. I have two wires, one coming from ground as marked and the other coming from pin 21 as marked. Pin 21 is connected to the positive side of a 3 volt LED. The positive lead is the longer of the two leads on the LED. The ground is connected through a 220 ohm resistor to the negative side of the LED, which is the shorter lead. As you can see, a small breadboard makes things a lot easier to prototype. Our program is going to make the LED blink SOS again and again, and then we'll set the Raspberry Pi up so it will run the Python Blinky Light program at boot. Let's run through the Python code now. First, we have some comments so that people reading my code will know what kind of program this is. All the comments start with a hash. You should use comments throughout your program. Next, we use the import command to import the GPIO library so that we can use the GPIO pins. Similarly, we import the sleep function from the time library. We can then use the sleep command to create delays. During each delay, the computer will just leave everything as it is and do nothing for a period of time. Next, there are two ways of numbering the GPIO pins. The GPIO set mode function I've used tells the Pi that we're going to use the BCM method of pin numbering, which is based on the Broadcom SOC channel numbering, as opposed to board, which is based on the board's numbering system. Now we're going to define some functions. Functions are small bits of code that you can use over and over again. This way you don't need to repeat large slabs of text in your computer code. Let's look at the first function as an example. We use the DEF command followed by the name that we're giving the function and then an opening and closing bracket. If we were to pass a variable when giving the command, we would put this inside the brackets. But for today, let's keep things simple and not worry about variables. We simply want our function to do a sequence of commands. In this instance, I'm creating a function called dit. The function's purpose is to turn pin 21 on for a short period of time and then turn the pin back off. The pin is connected to an LED, so it has the practical effect of turning the LED on for a short period of time and then turning it back off. If I want the computer to execute or carry out the sequence of commands, I need only type dit rather than repeating the sequence of commands in full. The first command in the dit function, gpio.output, sets pin 21 on. The sleep command which follows that creates a delay of 0.2 seconds. During this time, the LED remains on. Then we use the GPIO function again to switch the LED back off. The return function tells the computer that just these three commands above make up the dit function. What happens now is that every time I use the command dit, the Pi will execute the three commands which will turn the LED on, wait a bit, and then turn the LED back off.
We now move on to the dar function. This is basically identical to the did function, but the delay is longer at 0.6 seconds. This means that if I use the dar function, the LED will blink, but for three times longer than a dit. The get function is very simple and just uses the sleep command to create a 0.1 second gap between dits, although it's not strictly correct to do so. I like to leave longer gaps between my dars than my dits. It emphasizes the difference between dits and dars. I just know I'm going to get hate mail from Morse purists about that. The function dar gap is just the same as gap, except that the delay is now 0.6 seconds. The function big gap is the same again, but now the delay is a full one second. Finally, the function end gap implements the longest gap of all, 1.4 seconds, and this is used after I've sent the letters SOS. So we have now set up a series of defined functions which the program can call. We now come to the heart of the program itself, the bit that makes things happen. First, I use a sleep command to have a 3 second delay, so I have time to look at the pie and wait for it to start blinking. Next, we have a loop that goes round and round indefinitely. We use the try command to keep doing something until an exception occurs. The exception is control C being pressed on the keyboard and we use the accept command to look out for control C being pressed. If control C is pressed, then the computer breaks out of the loop and it executes the gpio.cleanup command which sets the gpio pins back to off. For the period of time during which the keyboard is not pressed, the while true command basically asks the question, has control C not been pressed? If the answer is true, that's to say control C has not been pressed, then the three groups of commands indented in the loop will be carried out again and again and again. When control C is pressed, we break out of this loop, the GPIO pins are all turned off, and the program finishes. The three groups of commands are easy to understand. In the first group, I send a dit to the LED, then a short gap, then another dit, a short gap, another dit, and then a bigger gap. That's dit dit dit, which is the letter S in Morse code. The next group of commands is similar, except that I send da 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 with longer gaps. That's the letter O in Morse code. And then, finally, I send the letter S again, followed by the biggest gap of all. So, this is what it looks like in practice when running. SOS is sent repeatedly by blinking the LED on and off. So far, so good. We have a working Blinky Light program. I've saved that as blinky.py in my slash home slash pi folder. To make the pi boot into this program, we're going to need to edit a program called rc.local, which is stored in the forward slash etc folder on the Raspberry Pi. 
we're going to use an editing program called Nano. And because we're editing system files, we will need to prefix the running of Nano with the magic sudo command. Sudo gives you administrator access and makes you all powerful. It's kind of like Open Sesame for Linux computers. So open a command line terminal and type sudo nano forward slash etc forward slash rc.local. You will need to provide your Raspberry Pi password. rc.local will now open up in a text editing program. Now in here, your arrow keys work like normal, as does any text you type. If you want to delete something, just use backspace to delete any mistakes you make. After the few comments in rc.local, put in a line that says sudo space python space forward slash home forward slash pi forward slash blinky dot py space and then an ampersand. Sudo makes the Python program run with root user privileges and the ampersand tells the Pi to run the program in the background. Save it by pressing Ctrl X, then press Y, then Enter. Reboot your Pi and with a little luck your Pi will start blinking SOS. Now that you know how to get your Pi to behave like an Arduino, you can easily write Python programs for the Pi and have the Pi run these at boot. There is, however, one final thing to note. When you boot into the Python program, you'll find that you can't use Ctrl-C anymore to get out of the program. Instead, just type sudo space kill all, that's K-I-L-L-A-L-L, space minus 9 space python and then hit enter. Peter, that was quite interesting. I remember doing stuff like that back in the DOS days, but uh, yeah, this is a little different. Yep. Well, it's, it's useful if you've got uh, your uh, Raspberry Pi set up somewhere away from where you normally are and you just, uh, you know, you want it, if it loses power, just to boot straight back into that program. Mm -hmm. So that little um, uh, bit of command code in rc.local will do that for you. Cool. All right, well, we're going to be back in just a moment, but uh, first, a message from one of our fine sponsors. Oh, and... Uh, We'll go ahead and mention this now. You know, we did say at the beginning of the program tonight that Christmas is coming up soon. Yep. We've got a few Christmas presents here that uh, we've just stuff that's collected up here over the past year or so. And we're going to give you all a chance to win some of it on next month. We'll tell you a little bit later uh, cool. how to participate in that. So we'll be right back. Holiday season is here. Looking for the ideal gift for your favorite contester? The holidays are just around the corner, and ICOM has an array of radios to fill your stockings or place under the tree. Perfect for the contester on the go? Try the IC7300. It's a high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with compact design. The real fun starts here. RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. Push performance to the pinnacle 
with the IC7600. Following in the footsteps of ICOM's flagship radio, the IC7600 offers intuitive operation and the latest DSP technologies. Digital IF filter, dual DSP, 5.8-inch ultra-wide TFT display, and high-resolution real-time spectrum scope. Raise the bar with the IC7851. Hear what others cannot with this HF 50 MHz transceiver. Reciprocal mixing dynamic range, crystal clear local oscillator design, spectrum scope, dual receivers, digital voice recorder, and more. To learn more about these and all of ICOM's great radios, visit icomamerica.com slash amateur today. Email, you've got an email sitting there, I think. I do. Um, the uh, Google Plus communities for AmateurLogic.tv is um, uh, there's a two-part series from a, a, a ham there. His name is Lauren Butler, and I believe that call is uh, VO1PWF. <clears throat> mm-hmm. He uh, he's writing about FL Digi um, and how the newer versions are support- supporting some of the uh, newer radios like the FT991 and I noticed it supports my Icom 9100 um, but the the thing that struck me the most when I went and looked at what he was saying uh, was changing they also now have a control interface for the Brasbury's Pies uh, GPIO port built into the software huh. so that, that kind of piqued my interest and I think you'll probably see a segment from me on that one to see what we can do with it Okay. Cool. Well, what what segment do you have for this month? Well, this this month I have uh, continuing networking, um, you know, theme behind what what am I doing with my ham radios and the Ethernet network LAN WLAN that's in the house here. Uh, it kind of goes in stride with what uh, Tommy was doing, except he was doing it over the internet. Um, it's just all about networking the shack so that I can control it from anywhere. Cool. Hello, George, Tommy, and Peter. In this episode, to continue along with the networking theme, I wanted to show you a uh, combination I put together to allow me to remotely control both my HF rigs with audio um, and VHF, UHF uh, package station all remotely via the uh, Ethernet networks or LAN and WLANs within the house. Here you can see the uh, UZ7HO software. That's my uh, packet station remotely extended out to TNC software. TNC in the shack. On the same PCL I also have the um, WinLink Express software to get me on the uh, WinLink Express uh, gateways in the area via uh, UHF and VHF. And finally, whether it's for ham radio um, or uh, shortwave or SWL listening, I have the uh, ham radio deluxe program remoted out to uh, the shack over uh, TCP/IP on my local area networks and wireless local area networks. If you can notice here, I have the audio coming in via Skype, ah, so I can uh, listen to it <coughs> over um, IP as well. There's also a built-in 
tool within the software that tells you the status of its communication as far as latency is concerned and also lets you fine-tune what buttons and meters you want to update like the S meter frequency displays <coughs> and other um, like the dials here or the bands and the actual buttons um, and sliders so there's a, a lot of features built into this uh, software which is really neat since I've already covered the um, packet extension in a prior episode this time I want to focus on the HF side and what I used to do this um, as you can see here the um, ham radio deluxe version does have connectivity options for uh, if you notice under the port here there's a remote setting which will allow you to uh, connect to the um, server end um, over your network um, if you notice the com port settings is actually set to uh, remote so once you have that server uh, set up properly on the other end you can actually connect uh, right up to it and there are a bunch of settings for that even a little bit of security um, some other port information it's all pretty much defaulted um, except for a few settings and uh, there are some YouTube videos that will walk you through this um, as well as the instructions of HRD itself um, once you have all of that part set up, you can actually connect to it. You can see there, it's telling me not to break anything. And then it will basically go out and over your network, establish what it needs to, and then come back and show you your radio connection. And once you just say, okay, connect to it. And then it looks just like HRD, except uh, it's... I'm, you know, in another building from this uh, device. So my shack is out there where all the antennas come out to and the computer that's out there is actually running a server version, which is nice. It's a service that automatically starts up and um, allows you to connect. Um, so if you're familiar with using HRD, um, it's going to look the same. It's just how you connect to it that's different. Um, and, of course, the audio, I'll show you in a minute, is piped in via uh, Skype. So even though I'm running on a high-speed LAN gigabit here, um, there are some controls that will allow you to uh, control that bandwidth that might be being used, especially if you're going to extend it over the internet or uh, other slower links because um, you can actually change how soon things update like all of the display settings and the buttons the statuses just so you're not wearing out that uh, link or filling it up with uh, junk um, so I mean on my LAN here it's not a problem because I'm, I'm you know uh, high speed and very low latency everything's cl relatively close I even have video with that Skype audio feed of the shack um, just so I could see uh, what's going on there uh, if anything so uh, again nice feature nice features for uh, remote control there's a lot more to it but I figured I would just um, 
go over some of the basics here. One more thing worth mentioning is that these uh, programs are all running on this setup here, my remote station. Um, they they all they're all running simultaneously. That's because TCP/IP has so many ports available to use, and they all software-wise they all fight relatively nice. You know the uh, Win WinLink Express uses a certain port for its packet connections and even the uh, Winmore protocol over HF has its own TNC uh, a little bit more complicated to set up remote but the um, the other software as well the, the UZ7HO terminal and its TNC is on a separate port 8000 I believe so you know they are they all fight relatively nice sometimes you'll find a uh, program that's going to use uh, maybe the same port or the same protocol and you gotta you gotta work that out but once you do they'll all work simultaneously which is uh, really saying something for what you can do I mean basically this is a remote command center that I can do things VHF, UHF and HF now um, all remotely of course I'll cover doing that remote over the internet which there's lots of solutions but you know the cheap old man's methods it's gotta have a certain standard about it so that's what I tried for here um, just to see what I could get to work so that's that so in the shack side on the server side of this there is the UZ7HO uh, software TNC that we covered in a previous episode there's the ham radio deluxe service running as a service which is all that's really required to be set up and of course the Skype um, service using one of my accounts here um, so that allows and facilitates the VHF through UHF communications um, through the radios um, I have the signal link actually on the uh, ICOM even though I don't really need it because it's got a USB interface in it um, I use it for other things and then there's the FT991 that I use for the packet side so all that's being controlled through the um, side the uh, workstation side of this setup which is over the network which is the point of this whole episode also have a uh, crosslink uh, repeater uh, crossband repeater link to extend the range of my uh, HTEs around the house and when I walk around the neighborhoods etc so uh, pretty neat remote type settings or setups here to extend over uh, networks, IP networks, the uh, station and its control. So, also have the uh, webcam set up in my little rack here, so that it can actually monitor the uh, station. That's what's providing the uh, video from uh, Skype. So here is what this station, this remote workstation represents for me. HF communications remotely controlled at the shack which I can extend over TCP IP. Um, UHF VHF packet communications here uh, through WingLink Global Network RMS Express and the normal packet terminals uh, systems which there are uh, quite a few of around here. Um, you see my little HT off to the side here. Uh, 
that's uh, going through the repeater, the um, uh, cross-link, cross-band repeater that I have in there to a local repeater. That just extends the range of my uh, HTs around the neighborhood. And of course, broadcast radio. You can see I'm, so I can listen to uh, Don, AE5DW, that's the, that's the station it's on now, where he is at, uh, so... Uh, that's what this station represents to me. It's uh, complete control of the shack, basically, um, or extended um, remote control. Plus, I can see it as well as hear it and, and talk through it. So, um, again, that's this is the workstation side of uh, things for me. So, from cheap old man, seventy-three K5 QKR. A tremendous value. Oh well. You know the softwares is the uh, the cheap part of that whole thing between the TNCs and the uh, you know like UZ7HO TNC the certain version of HRD mm-hmm. and uh, the you know other softwares that allow me to connect over IP that's really the focus of that cheapness for sure I made it work for me yeah cool. Looks looks I, I, like a, I did make several contacts over that too. I, you know, I piped the audio. It wasn't just receiving the audio via Skype. I told my uh, signal link back here to uh, take the incoming audio, and the signal link automatically keys the rig through the data port. So it uh, it I made some contacts. In fact, there was one I made with a fellow ham here in Slidell to a, a ham who was flying an Airbus three thirty over the house. A, a commercial airliner <laughs> that was the weirdest thing but right when I got it working I heard him on 20 meters and uh, made that contact so that was pretty neat stuff cool and you heard Don on there too huh Don yeah Don it was on my mind because uh, I could I kept hearing commercials he does the uh, commercials for that particular station ah okay so I had my little uh, Grundig sitting there Christmas is uh, yeah, the whole holiday season is getting here really quick oh yeah coming wide open i tell you after after halloween it's just bam 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 yeah i'm kind of looking forward to it this time we're actually going over to england for christmas really yeah my son and i are you going to have some strumpets some scrumpets yeah sure why not (laughs) (laughs) and some tea and a spot of tea wow yeah okay it's gonna be fun yeah we'll say hello to the queen oh well yeah Uh, well, I've got an email here, and uh, this one comes from Mike, K5HUM. Hum. And he says, Hi, old man. An index to all your shows that list the details of the uh, content covered in each episode. I can't find it. Is it still out there? It well, is. Mike, you are in luck, buddy. It is still out there. And if I can find it right here. Ah, this is it right here. It's amateurlogic.tv slash wiki. That's the amateurlogic wiki Mm -hmm. where you can get all the show notes. It's done by our friend Dan in 9LVS every month. And, uh, you know, uh, we appreciate him doing that. And, uh, hey, this is where we go when somebody asks us. That's the first place I go. Yep. I still use it to this day to find my episodes. Yep. Even the ones you haven't done yet. Even the ones I haven't done. Wow. I can't wait to look on there and see what I'm going to do next month. 
<laughs> yeah. I'm sure Dan's figuring that out yeah. right now. I wish he would, because I'll be honest, some of the uh, segment ideas pulls getting kind of shallow. Ah, you'll come up with something. I always do. Yeah. TV slash wiki. Well, you know, this month um, I, I did something a little different. You know, I've been making up uh, a lot of uh, RF jumper cables and different things, getting ready to install uh, four one-kilowatt FM transmitters at a site. And I needed a lot of different cables and things. And uh, this is a cable I had seen before, but you you may not have seen it. It's, uh, it's not used a lot, but um, just something a little different that, you could have an application for. I wouldn't suggest putting a hundred feet out there to run to your dipole. It might be a little expensive for that. I'm sure. Yeah. Not cheap, old man. Compliant. No. You know there are a lot of different choices when you're looking for coaxial cable. Tonight we're going to look at one that uh, you may not have seen before. It's RG142. It's a high temperature coaxial cable that's widely used in commercial wireless applications. It also works very well in sensitive environments like avionics. RG142 can be used for radar. It's used a lot with GPS, medical systems, broadcast gear, test equipment, and you'll see it used a lot of times for jumpers at repeater sites. The reason is the double shielding of the cable. The center conductor is a 19 American wire gauge, silver-coated, copper-covered steel conductor. It's plenum rated, has a Teflon dielectric. It's got double silver-coated copper braid shields with 95% coverage and an FEP jacket. And because it's approved for direct burial, you can use RG142 coax and underground connections and still have good shielding efficiency. The cable was specifically built for the United States military in World War II, It's used for satellites, systems, and other tactical operations and equipment. Because of the importance of those cables, the military required them to have a maximum and minimum dielectric adhesion values, specific shrink-back allowances, eccentricity standardizations, stress-crack resistance tests, and a lot of other specifications that add to the durability and reliability of the cable. RG142 utilizes standard connectors, so you don't need proprietary or exotic pieces. It has good shielding effectiveness between 40 and 60 dB and low passive intermod. Degradation of signal quality is kept to a minimum. That's why this cable works really good with repeater duplexers where you don't want any signal leaking around from the transmitter getting back into the receiver. Since RG142 is made with a solid dielectric, it has a high rate of crush resistance, and it's a coaxial cable of choice for tactical operations and applications. Here's some things that kind of set it apart. Temperature-wise, it's good from minus 67 degrees to 395 degrees Fahrenheit. You're not going to do that with your average coax. It's also solder and solvent resistant. Let's just do a few comparisons here. RG8X, which we're all fairly familiar with, and I'll use it because it's a similar size coax. It's usable out to 1 gigahertz. 
RG142 is usable to 8 gigahertz. Now the loss of RG142 is a little higher. At 100 megahertz, RG8X has an attenuation of 3.1 dB per 100 feet, while RG142 is 3.8. A little lossier there. But let's look at the power rating. At 100 megahertz, RG8X is good out to 250 watts. RG142 is good to 2400 watts. I like to use it for critical jumpers and broadcast installations and sensitive test equipment in high RF fields. Now I'm going to show you today how to install a BNC coax connector because that's something I needed to do. I'm going to show you a few hints here that'll make it go maybe a little bit easier and a little more accurate. I'm using a good quality one here. This one is silver plated. It's not the cheapest connector around, but then again, this cable is not that cheap. When you start looking around online, you find it goes from um, 4 to $5 a foot. So why not spend a little extra on a good connector for it? A standard BNC connector for RG58 would fit this cable just fine. Now, whenever you're going to install a coax connector, or really any type of connector for that matter, if you don't know exactly the length that you should strip back your cable, well, let me show you a little trick here. The first thing you want to do, and I recommend you get one of these anyway, pick up one of these cheap calibers here. You can find them on sale at Harbor Freight for less than $20. This is going to make it much easier to do your cable measurements here. I'll just put it on inches, make sure that it's zeroed, calibrated. Now, how do I know how much of this to strip back? Well, I go to the website for the connector that I'm interested in, and I downloaded the spec sheet for it. And we can see right here, they almost always give you a recommended cable stripping dimensions there. If we strip back to these exact dimensions, then we can be sure that this is going to be a good connector installation. If I'm only doing a single cable, well, I'll just take my calipers out here and adjust it out to the sizes that I need. 1.57. Lock it down there. Get it right on the money, which is, uh, you know, a little challenge when you're working with a figures that small. Now, this diagram is not to scale, as you can see. But this is how much of the center conductor we need sticking out. So if I'm doing a single cable, well, I'll just cut it based on that and go through each of them there. But, you know, I've got uh, a fair amount of this cable. I'm going to be putting on a lot of connectors. So to make the job go a little bit quicker, I took a piece of plastic from a connector shell and I measured it out. I've got one division here for 0.157. Then I've got another one for the 0.146 that we need for the dielectric to stick out. And then 0.327 for the shield. And that's just a handy little gauge I can use here since I know that I'm going to be doing a lot of these in the future. So we can put our calipers away. Now for BNC connectors, yeah... I'm not a big fan of crimp-on connectors generally, but for these, I am. 
Now, I will crimp that center pin as well, but I'm also going to solder it. And there's a little hole in the side where you can flow solder into it. If you've ever tried to put a standard BNC connector together where you've got the little nut on the back, boy, this is so much easier. And you're going to do a much better job with it. It's easiest if you start right at the end and work your way back rather than go the other direction. The first thing I'm going to do is take my little gauge here or the calipers. I'm going to determine how much of that center conductor I need sticking through. That much right there. So I'll begin cutting the cable right there using a sharp knife. I've got to go through two shields. And that's the first thing I'm going to try to do here. I don't want to go all the way through and nick the center conductor. Now let's just check it to make sure that we are the right length. And yeah, we're exactly where we need to be on that. So now we're going to take the dielectric off. I got to be real careful here. I only want to just cut the dielectric and not nick that center conductor. Because that'll weaken our connection if we do that. This stuff here is Teflon too, so it's a really good dielectric. The next thing we need to do is strip back just enough of the shield there so that we've exposed the correct amount of dielectric. Let's take another measurement here to see that everything's good so far. And it is right on the money. The next step is to expose the correct amount of shield and just want to cut through the jacket here not cut into the shield itself. And let's check that dimension. It's right on the money too. The next thing we do is a step that you really need to try to remember and that's to slide this back down the cable. Get it out of the way. So you've got your ring to crimp down. Put our pin on the center conductor there. Of course you're going to need the correct size of crimping tool and I just happen to have one here back from when we used to install networks using RG58 cable. It's the correct size for this as well. And there we go. Slide the pin up inside the connector. Pull the shell back up. And there we go. Nice strong BNC connector. So if you're going to put a coax connector on and you're not positive of how to strip it back, download the spec sheet and do yourself a favor. Go by Harbor Freight, pick up one of these cheap calibers here. I found it to be pretty doggone accurate. It's really saved me a lot of time. Yeah, those are those calipers. Yeah, I use yeah. them all the time. Especially, I bought them to use with my 3D printer, but yeah. I find it kind of handy to measure a lot of stuff. What do you think about this cable? Yeah, this stuff just looks expensive. It is. It's, it's heavy too, man. Yeah, I, yeah. I've seen. I think I've seen people using that in like a patch panel bay. Yeah. Uh, to you know, go. I don't know that they use BNC, but I've seen those before. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you'll see them uh, on repeaters uh, a lot for connecting the duplexers together. Here, I don't think I can get it close enough. You can really yep. see it. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, on test equipment, uh, broadcast installation, this is really good cable. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, Peter's back. Yeah. Okay. You notice that Santa... It's all kind of good. He's yeah, on the table. some stuff on the table. We're going to come back in just a minute and talk about that. But I need to stall so that I can do something here. And here's the perfect way to do it. At the end of each month, it's Amateur Logic's Ham College, the new show for those new to the hobby and those wanting to get into amateur radio. Which of the following is a purpose of the amateur radio service as stated in the FCC rules and regulations? That inductor and capacitor form a tuned circuit. That's how you tune the radio to the frequency that you want. The English language. We lived in town. I liked it. I, I listened to mine a lot. It was really cool because you didn't have to have a battery to power yeah. it. There's our homemade telegraph station. We can use it for long-distance communications. Oh, like, uh, what, three feet yeah, here? across the table. The answer is B. Voltage was named after Italian physicist Alessandro Volta. We can see we're generating a little bit of electricity there. It's DC. It's always great to go back and get a refresher. It well, sure is. A lot of that stuff, if you've been a ham for a while like we have, you, you don't really think about a lot of that stuff that often. They didn't have electric screwdrivers in those days, so that's why we're not using one. That's why we went primitive with it. Yeah. So let's see if we can hear anything when we, uh, we fire off our spark gap transmitter. Well, we didn't build anything or blow up anything today, but... Uh, the night's still young. <laughs> and it was. We anything on fire tonight yet either. No. Not, you know, hey, George. Not, yeah. Uh, that across-the-table propagation, I think that's called the T-layer. I learned that in the extra <laughs> exam. The T-layer. Yeah, it's across the yeah, table. The table. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter, I think you've got... Uh, an email there, don't you? Yes, I do have an email here. This one's from uh, Eric in Miami, Florida. And he says, Peter, like your segments on the old radios and Huntsville, Alabama, uh, Alabama sweaters. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, thanks, uh, Eric. Uh, uh, it was a lot of fun visiting Alabama. Um, I found a very uh, pleasant place and uh, people were extremely nice there. Space Museum was great, and uh, uh, true, I love old radios, but I have to say, though, they are a bit deaf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, let's let's talk about some of this stuff here on the table, Tommy. This just goodies here. We just figured this out, like, moments ago during the Yeah, so the you're seeing tonight. this develop right before your eyes. Yeah. So if there's a horrible accident or something, you know. Kind of like that spark cap transmitter experiment. Just one of the risks you know, take. This eyebrow still growing back right here. <laughs> well, you know, we've got some stuff that's just kind of collected, you know, around the studio yep. here over the past year or some so. Some good stuff. Some good things. And we wanted to give out a, a few Christmas presents here. And uh, to do that, well, we got to have a contest because well, we got to work for it. We don't have enough to send every viewer one, which yeah. we would like well, to I would do. Love to do that if we just can't do it. Just can't do it. But we we can send uh, 
several people here uh, something for the holidays. Now, this is we're calling it a Christmas contest, but it, it, it can be a Hanukkah contest. It can be whatever kind of contest you want. But um, it's a clear off the table contest. Yes, it's a clearance sale. <laughs> no cost clearance sale. What you're going to need to do, and we'll tell you this right now, is send an email. Uh, basically, we want to know your name, your call sign. If you're a ham, you don't have, you have to be one, a ham. Yeah, yeah. Uh, U.S. or Canada, because you know Tommy and I are, are coughing up the money to ship this out, so um, we don't want to ship it to you know way away where we can't afford to ship it. <laughs> so. Um, Sorry, but U.S. or Canada, um, we probably need your address. Yep, so that would be good to ship it. Yeah, it's void where prohibited. That sounds like it should be part of it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, void where prohibited, wherever that may be. Yeah, and one entry only. If you send more than one entry, you'll be disqualified. And do you remember any of the other good contest rules we made up? Uh, not, but we'll make up some more as we go along. I'm sure. Okay. Uh, so that's the main ones. Yeah. The main yeah. Ones. So Just drop an if, email if any taxes. Yeah. Uh, from your local area are involved, then you would be responsible for those. Which I don't think that's the yeah, case. It's probably but, not an issue. But but that's one of the usual disclaimers. Yeah. And and the subject message, or the subject of the email message, put. Um, only your call sign. If you have it. If you have it. If you don't, put your first name and your last name. And That's pretty tough. Well, I think most folks have got one. I know that Sting doesn't have one. At least one of those. One. Yeah. yeah. But, well. uh, you know, we are working on getting down to where, we, you know, we we can just use one name. Yeah. I'm just, I sign my emails with one letter. Well, I do too. An email point that up. Uh, point that out to us. You do that too? I, oh, with the emails, yeah. Well, I'll use a G for mine. Yeah. Well, hey, I noticed on your calipers too, you had GT. That was the GT model. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> Usually pay extra for that. Man, email, I know you don't want to cough it up, but you need to go buy a set of those calipers. They are cheap now. All yeah. right. I, I was, you sparked my interest when you said that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Boy, you'll just be surprised at what you use them for once you get a set. I think I got mine with a coupon. I don't think I paid but about 10 bucks. I think it. that's what I paid, but I was hesitant to say exactly, so I said under $20. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're boy, an excellent deal. Okay, well, let's look at some of the prizes here. Uh, first, in our clothing line, we've, Tommy, what have we've you got, got a, a stylish ICOM ball cap and ICOM ham crew t-shirt just like the one we give away on ham college every month yep so you'll be looking sharp Ah. at the ham fest yep again again, that comes with the matching ball cap Mm -hmm. oh you've got another item this is a very exclusive one for another lucky winner this is different winners for each one of these items now so yeah we've got one amateur logic icom Hamvention 2015 lab coat left, like you saw us wearing from the Icon booth when we did our live stream. It's a size large. Is it? 
So, so won't, that's the only one we've got left. We would send it to you. Uh, know, if you but, need an extra large, we'll have to see if we can find the lab coat stretchers yeah. back here somewhere and put them on it. But there's no guarantee that that's going to yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, nice lab coat. Yeah. Got, uh, like I said, it's got ICOM on the front, amateurlogic.tv on the back. Yeah. And, uh, and, and nice. who wouldn't want to go out for a night on the town? You know, wearing, wearing that. I'm, that's what I'm saying. I wear mine out all the time. Okay. Uh, and and because somebody in the chat room was being smart about it, <laughs> a roll of ICOM Amateur Logic Crime Scene Tape. Great for taping off your field day area or, or whatever, or your crime scene. Are you both at Hamvention? Are you both at Hamvention? Are, are you friends? Yeah. yeah, or your friends. We've done that. We tried yeah. to. It doesn't work well to to bind human beings up well because we tried to get Ray to take the uh, seventy three hundred that time from him, and hey. uh, he was able to get out of it fairly easily. Yeah. So. so safety first, right? Wherever Amateur Logic TV is being filmed and taped, you need that. You do. Yep. <laughs> okay. Just in case it's a liability. And over in the time department, boy, we've got got some nice items here you'll never be late yeah this is an mfj you know and all these folks haven't asked us if we can give this away it's just here and we're going to give it away <laughs> so hopefully you know we'll hopefully be back with mind. you next year you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh this is a mfj uh 113 giant led alarm clock it displays in 12 or 24 hours uh you know Tommy, can you read that from where you're sitting over there? I can. I mean, if you looked at it <laughs> instead of the monitor. Yeah, that's it's, huge. It's, I can read yeah. it all the way across the room easy. It It is huge. So yeah. we're going to send that to somebody. Uh, let's see. I've got um, I've got another item here. This is a MFJ148RC uh, remote control, 12 or 24-hour dual clock. Sets itself uh, automatically with WWV and uh, displays in 12 or 24 hours. This yeah. is a nice those, clock. Those are those are awesome for your ham shack. I've got one of those too. So. Yeah. What yep, do you What do you think about it? I like it. It's pretty nice. Well, it does work great, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And uh, the fact that it's always accurate. Yep. Yep. And I haven't, you know. These are so neat, we haven't even put batteries in them. But, uh, Speaking of WWV, you know, all of the clocks in my house that are uh, atomic clock controlled are, must be the propagation and the weather change because they're all getting signals now, strong signal. Really? You know, yeah. I, I have a hard time getting it here in the in the studio because this is a metal building. Yeah. So, uh, but when I need to sync my clock, I just take it outside. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, just let it sit for a day. It'll sync. Oh, it doesn't even take that long. Yeah. Um, these these do it pretty pretty regular. So yeah, it's uh, a nice clock. It's very like nice. Say it's great for your ham shot. Yeah. Set one side to uh, your local time, the other side to UTC or Melbourne time if you. Need to keep up with Peter. Mm -hmm. uh, yep, I, I, I use it occasionally for that very purpose. Yep, and nice. we we have two of these. Yep, so, so two lucky winners of that. Two lucky winners of that. What if somebody has a preference of what they would prefer to win? Or is yeah. this going to be potluck? Or? Yeah, I think it's just going to be potluck because how, I mean, 
there's probably going to be more than one person who would really like this lab coat. Well, well, we're going to have to draw for each one. We're and the crime scene tape. You can you can see the dilemma yeah. here. I actually already saw somebody say if he if he enters uh, if he wins, he wants to ask for the crime scene tape. Yep. That's going to be a hot item right there. Yeah, it is. We may need to start selling these at the Hamfest. Yeah, I think what we'll have to do is uh, when we draw next month, we'll just have to hold up an item and say, okay, we're drawing now for. Uh, you know, for whatever, and just draw a name because I, I don't know how we could, you know, how we could. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it'd be kind of tough to be fair about that. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the loot. I mean, the goodies. Yep. That we have at the moment. Yep. And like we say, uh, we hope the people who this stuff belong to. I mean, the people who sent us this stuff. I hope they don't come looking for it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sure they won't. Good, good sponsors. We'll have addresses of who, who got it. So. No, I'm not wearing a dress. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, it, send an email, uh, Christmas 2016 amateurlogic.tv at TV. Uh, your call sign, or if Thank you don't you. have a call sign, first and name, your last name and name. address. Yep, and the subject line. Then, yeah, your name and address and, and info down inside the body of the message. And, uh, hey, we'll be drawing. How many things we've got to give away here? One, two, three. Because these two are a set. Yeah, I think we Four, had five, six, six things. Six items. Yeah. So, um, join us next month. And we don't know what day we'll be shooting it live. Of course, you won't have to be uh, in the chat room to win. No, but it's a lot more fun if you are. It's a lot more fun if you are. And and people can poke sticks at you and stuff, too. So, you know, that's (laughs) kind of hard to do otherwise. Well, uh, let's see. Before we go, a couple of other housekeeping items we want to cover here. Uh, The first one is what, Tommy? Yeah, speaking of Christmas coming up. Yeah. Oh, boy. Great Christmas gifts for your ham friends. Exactly. And non-ham friends. Yeah. Uh, amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com you can get your amateur logic or ham college swag there mm-hmm. you've got sweatshirts jackets ball caps polo shirts t-shirts mm-hmm. what else uh all kind of good stuff in there yeah and the ham college paraphernalia as ham well college, yeah yeah we got the uh the john belushi special yep. sweatshirt yep uh compliments of uh Mike, my design of my days at the university. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, get uh, get your swag there at amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com. A couple other things before we go: our social networking. This has become a big part of the show because we we get feedback from the viewers constantly, and this kind of helps gives us ideas of what we want to talk about, what we need to talk about on the shows. Yeah. Actually, yeah, a lot of people come over there asking technical questions. Mm-hmm. This is just a fun place to hang out. Yep. Uh, we got a Facebook group address right there. We got a Google Plus community. And you can follow us on Twitter at Amateur Logic. Yeah, at Amateur Logic. We also have at Ham College. Yep. And there's not a lot of activity on Twitter right now. I've been doing most of that stuff in the past and I haven't had a lot of time, but. 
hope to pick it back up. But yeah. we do post uh, the notifications when we're going to be streaming live. So mm-hmm. that's a good way to watch for that. And also, whenever we're shooting live, we've got a chat room going as well, amateurlogic.tv slash chat. There's a lot of fine folks in there right now having a, a good time. We wish we could be in there with them, but uh, it is difficult to uh, talk and chew gum at the same time. No, that's not right. It's difficult to uh, to talk and make sense at the same time. No, that's not what I was trying to say. <laughs> it might be accurate. Yeah. It, it might be accurate. It's, it's hard to do this and that. At the same time, but we do peek in there during the show. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it can be a little bit distracting if you do. Yep. So if we look distracted tonight, it's only because gonna, we are. Yep. Okay, and uh, let's see. That's probably going to do it for tonight, Tommy. All right, Neil and Peter. Uh, any any final words before we leave? Nope. Uh, don't forget to get your entries in for all the good goodies we're giving away here and uh, we will see you in a couple of weeks for hand college some of you yeah and the ones that don't we'll see you in about a month for the next amateur logic okay uh peter how about you well i've uh, i just noticed that uh, ke5 qkr suggested uh, how about an international food extravaganza for the 100th episode or Christmas episode. Uh, so, Peter, uh, that could that could be an idea. Do you know who that is? <clears throat> okay. uh, oh, it's that gentleman. Oh, <laughs> See, you know, the cheap, oh, okay. the cheap guy. <laughs> this guy right here. Yeah, well, they could, we, we could do something, I'm sure. Yeah, he's just wanting <laughs> free food, Peter. That's all that is. <laughs> what? Okay, you, I, I will send you some Vegemite. Okay. You know, you just you just took the wind right out of my sails because that's what I was going to say. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we, could, we could have an international uh, food extravaganza uh, episode, and you know, since New Orleans does um, count as another country, we fit right in. Okay. Well, I, I have uh, pondered the idea of doing a segment, and I'm, I know I'm going to have to twist George's arm to let me do this, but about how to cook edible toroids. Oh yeah, we talked about that before. As long as the toroids don't impede any certain other things other than AC voltage. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, edible toroids are good. Yep. They have a lot of fiber in them by any chance? No. Okay. No, it's completely bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being here tonight, everyone. It's great fun to see you again. Have a uh, a good Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Enjoy we, it. We hope you do, and a, a great holiday season. Yeah, spend time up. with your family. Yep. And uh, you know, join us back here around the end of the month. We'll do a ham college, and fifteenth uh, of next month, we're going to give away Santa's bag of goodies here. Yep. That's going to be good. Yep. If the old elf can squeeze down the chimney. And he can. Depends on Thanksgiving. <laughs> yep. All right. 73, everybody. 73. 73. 
So, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with that. So you'll enjoy the laptop for sure. Yeah. Well. I'm sorry, the radio. The radio. The yeah, laptop, You probably too. like your laptop, too, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. I've got another item here. This is, oops. Uh-oh. Not that button. Not that button. Nothing like nice. bringing uh, fighting relatives together like a good eating holiday. Yep. Yeah. You see, you see our, our history is a little bit different, though. We came over here as um, convicts. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we should have Thanksgiving that we're out of jail. <laughs> in, ten, yeah. in ten cups. <laughs>